Hello, misfits. I'm a tornado. And I am a, a wicked good witch. And this is Halloween Wood. And I'm Kate. And I'm Kale. And we are coming to you via video. So if you're listening to this on one of your regular podcast places, you can actually jump over to our YouTube page. And if all the technology goes according to plan, you can watch this episode on video because it's our Halloween special. Happy Halloween. I'm super excited for it. Uh, I think I might have to move my tornado because I can't reach the computer. Um, I just want everybody to know that when I was coming into the computer today, I followed the yellow brick road. A road that you probably don't actually want to follow because it only leads to disaster, which we're going to learn about today. Before we start in on the episode, um, I just want to mention we're still getting comments on the Joe Pickler case. That case has really like sparked a lot of um, interest in people, which is good because I want to get it out there and I, I want it to be talked about. Uh, so we had a comment that someone thinks that he just ran away, which we know how I feel about it. And Kale, I think we all know how you feel about it. Absolutely. Pretty sure he did not run away. Pretty sure his friends did something very, very bad. Um, but we just want closure for his family. So uh, yeah, I just want to keep talking about it and getting his story out there. And if you know something, say something and write it in yeah. and let us know. Yes. And speaking of family, we hope you're doing something fun with yours today because it's Halloween. It's my personal favorite day of the year uh, because it's just fun and there's candy and you get to dress up and you get to make ridiculous costumes like tornadoes where you go out to your front yard and you pick up a bunch of dead leaves and you stick them <laughs> On cardboard from an old Amazon box. Um, Listen, do-it-yourself costumes are basically the best. It really, yeah, truly, truly are. Um, So we are celebrating this special day by talking about the Wizard of Oz, the horrific Wizard of Oz, because some pretty dark shit happened on that set. Um, Turns out health and safety regulations... Hang on, I can't reach my computer with this costume. Uh, Turns out health and safety regulations basically just didn't exist in the early 20th century. And although the Screen Actors Guild had been formed by the time the movie was made, didn't really offer actors the protections that it does now. So I'm sure everyone listening has seen The Wizard of Oz at least once in their life. If not, it's available for free right now if you have HBO Max. You're missing out. I mean, it's... So make that happen. Everyone should see it at least once. But my guess is everyone that's listening has. Uh, It was a Technicolor classic released in 1939. And of course, it's based on L. Frank Baum's book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which was published in 1900. 
And I guess I just didn't realize that it was that old. old. I didn't either, actually. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I had to study that script through and through when I performed this. And and what role were you? Well, I'm going to be full disclosure here. So I auditioned first. Like you get to pick two, one your alternative and one like the, the primary role that you want. And I auditioned for Dorothy. Of course. Um, <laughs> and then my alternative was Glinda the Good Witch. I was and given and casted. <laughs> I didn't get either, which I thought was interesting because I auditioned for every single play and was often the lead because nobody really was big in theater when I was in high school. Nobody wanted to be in the show. <laughs> no. And so, you know, I was like, all right, I'm up for it because I knew that I wanted that to be my path. However, still not. Um, but I got the Wicked Witch of the West, which honestly, that's my it was, dream role. It actually was a super fun role. And I got, I was blessed to get to work with like the younger kids that came in to be the monkeys. So I, it ended up being a really good opportunity for me. And clearly I stole the show. <laughs> I love the Wicked Witch. Obviously we're going to talk about her. Um, but when we were deciding our costumes and you originally said witch, I was like, <gasps> But then I was like, all right, I'll let her have it. And that's why I decided to be a tornado. But the Wicked Witch <laughs> is bomb. And totally. And we'll, and we'll get to oh, her. And let me tell you about the makeup that I had to wear. Oof. I guarantee you, no matter like, days. So was Margaret Hamilton. And I guarantee you, no matter what makeup you had to do, the actors in the movie were so Went much worse. worse. Um, so, yeah, I it was kind of crazy to learn that this story is over 120 years old. Like, I I couldn't really wrap my brain around that. Baum wrote a total of 14 books in the Oz series, but the movie is based on the first one, which you can actually read for free on Google Books, I found out. And I didn't know this either. The character of Dorothy Gale was actually based on L. Frank Baum's niece, who died when she was just five months old. Oh, he wanted to cheer up her mother. I mean, like, sorry, she was five months old. No, (laughs) I meant like, I meant more of like, was this something he would have dreamed for her? Like that, that he created this role for her and like, he actually did it to cheer up her mother after she passed and he wanted a way to sort of immortalize her. So he did that with the character of Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. That's so bittersweet and just beautiful. Yeah, her name was Dorothy Gage. So her name was Dorothy, um, and he just oh, changed the last name. What an amazing tribute. That's yeah. that's iconic and has lasted for so... It's like her legacy just continues. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of... It's really sweet, actually. Um, and when asked how he came up with the name Oz, Palm said, uh, I was staring at my file cabinet. It read O slash Z, and I was like, <laughs> Oz. That's legit. That's so Oz. So the movie has become a beloved classic. And according to IMDb, is the third most watched film ever made. With, can you guess which two are first? First and second. Gone with the Wind. No, but that is very close. Um, Home Alone. No, so I'm just going to tell you. It's (laughs) Titanic is number one. And E.T. is two. (gasps) E.T. Yeah, I've got. You know, I've got a little partial heart to that. Like, I know you do. I know you do. Uh, it cost about $3 million to make the movie, which at the time was MGM's most expensive production. 
but it I, barely I didn't even know broke even. millions I didn't even really oh, I didn't know millions existed back then like I know that we talk about it sometimes but it just <laughs> seems so but you know what I mean like it just seems like three million to me is still a lot of money today I mean and think about in 1939 that's that was what a I, shit I know ton. Tons, yeah. tons. Yeah. And it didn't even break even, which. Well, barely. It made okay. about $3 million. So oh, commercially, oh, I see, I see. it wasn't a big success. It wasn't until the film was re-released. And then especially like in 1956, when it started airing on TV and became yes. a yearly tradition, that's when it became like it kind of blew up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the first production. So sorry. If we do make this video, I'm like. I, you probably can't even see the costume. I'll hold it up periodically. Okay. But I, my computer is so far away from me so because I, I have a tornado in my way. Um, so the first production of The Wizard of Oz was not the film. In 1902, a lavish stage version was mounted in Chicago. Hey. It was love the a, Chicago references. Yes. It was a vaudeville-style musical that received great critical acclaim. And so then it moved to Broadway the following year and was a huge success. In the Broadway production, Fred Stone played the scarecrow and was amazing in the role. A young Ray Bolger saw the show on Broadway, and Stone's performance inspired him to become an eccentric dancer like Stone was. And he decided that when he grew up, he wanted to be just like Fred Stone. Oh, that's and amazing. This comes back. Oh. A silent movie. For, well, like in a good way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't I need to be so like, prepared for the worst right now. I'm like, back. <laughs> a silent movie version debuted in 1910 and then an adaptation where the scarecrow is the main character came out in 1925 but that version changed a lot of what the original story was and it ended up being a huge flop and even bankrupted the hollywood studio that produced it but if you think another studio wouldn't want to produce a version of it after seeing one tank, you would be wrong. Because in 1937, a little film came out called um, Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh. Have you heard of it? You know, I, I think I can put my finger on it. Yeah, it sounds familiar, right? Yeah, just a tad. I don't know. It yeah. kind of makes me want to have an apple. It was really successful. So MGM was all, hey, movies based on children's books can be a huge hit. So they bought the rights to Frank Baum's novel and the writing and revising of the script began. Okay. Only three people are credited with writing it, but there were actually several that worked on the script. And when it came to casting... No black actors were cast in the film because racism. Mm. So that is terrible. And this was also back in the day when actors would be under contract with a studio. And it's so we unfortunate, too, because there are so many amazing actors out there. And it's just unfortunate that you that you can't see the diversity in, in older movies and shows. Well, and then, you know, that's why we got The Wiz, which is amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, Hollywood has a lot of problems with racism mm -hmm. and shit. Uh, and it's not super solved even today. Um, so, anyway, actors were under contracts with studios. We talked a little bit about this in our Marilyn Monroe series. So, actors didn't really have a lot of say in the roles they played. It was just like if you were under contract with a studio, they could say, hey, you're going to play the Tin Man or you're going to be the voice of the apple tree and you would have and to do it. Yeah. 
almost all the lead actors in the film came from a vaudeville background, including Judy Garland. At just Hmm. 16 years old, she had already been doing vaudeville for 10 years. She started when she was six? Well, she'd been doing vaudeville for 10 years. She'd been performing for 13. She started when she was like two and a half, three years old. Yeah. Her mom pretty much forced her into it. Um, So she wasn't the only actress considered for the role of Dorothy. Reportedly, there were several, one of which was Shirley Temple, who at the time, yeah, she was the most prominent child star at the time. She was she was the it girl and she was 11. She was also the same age as the character of Dorothy in um, the in the story, whereas Judy Garland was 16. A little older. So right. it made more sense for Shirley Temple to play the role. But there are a couple of stories that have emerged regarding why Judy was chosen over Shirley. One is that producers felt Shirley's singing wasn't as strong as Judy's for what the role required, which when you listen okay. to it, I mean... <clears throat> Excuse me. Judy sounds like a 40-year-old woman. Right. So I'm not sure right. like why they thought, oh, that's what we want an but, 11-year-old but think voice about to it. be. In the all the Disney movies, it's an it's an adult singing and it's sure. usually uh, like a a younger character in the like all the cartoons and whatnot that are out there, the animated movies. Sure. Like I always envision like Ariel, for instance, is like maybe 20. <laughs> Oh, it was Judy Benson who sang, right? Yes. Yeah, because she went to our college. Millican ties, yep. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, another story that came out of why Judy got the role over Shirley was because of contractual obligations. So oh, yeah. Shirley was, was a- actually under contract with Fox, not MGM. Oh, so in order the studios, for her, not her actual, um, like what exactly. she was doing. Oh, okay. That wasn't her, her home base, essentially. Wow. So in order for her to kind of be loaned over to MGM, MGM supposedly was going to trade one of the, one or two of their stars to Fox, but then they didn't want to do that. I don't know if that's true. Um, suffice to say, Shirley was not cast. And later producers were like, oh, Judy was always the one. We were never considering anyone else. But I mean, there are plenty of stories out there that would say otherwise. Uh, side note, Judy Garland would have been a hundred years old this year. Really? Yeah. She was born June 10th, 1922. I like a good sanitarian. I, I like the thought of- I like of, a good sanitarian. Well, I like the thought of somebody reaching- A sentence reaching I've three, literally never heard in my life. I know. I, okay, fine. It's weird. But like somebody reaching three digits, and I know that unfortunately she didn't, but like that's what- I, <laughs> I just want to every now and then. I just then love the little twister. Remind um, people that I'm the tornado. But that's like, I, I don't know. It just gives me great pleasure. There was somebody in New York on our block that turned 100 when we went to like um, her birthday party. And it was just so special. It's just like, wow, the life you've lived, you know? I don't know. Yeah, but Judy did I, not live no, that life. I know, I know. But, you know, she's still, like, she still had a lot alert. to tell. Spoiler she's, alert. Oh gosh. She didn't even live half of that. But that's... A side note, uh, because she was she several years, she should have, uh-uh. because she was several years older than the character she portrayed, 
Judy endured some really awful treatment, all of which was overseen by the head of MGM at the time, Louis B. Mayer. Because the because the age she should have been portrayed or that that was being portrayed was quite younger and wouldn't have gone probably through puberty yet. And I am guessing that Judy Garland right. at 16 had already she, gone through and was very developed. She was developed. Mm. Um, Louis B. Mayer was a special kind of asshole. So Judy was... Kind of assholes. <laughs> but you love sanitarians. <laughs> hundred years old, okay? I know. It's a, it's a big, a big deal. Um, Judy was four feet, 11 and a half inches tall. I had no idea. Just a little thing. Yeah, a little thing. Um, she she's also like had, the height of Shirley Temple. Right? So that worked. She also had scoliosis. So it kind of produced, oh. you know, she kind of had like a bend in her posture because of yeah. that. So from the time she signed with MGM at just 13 years old, a child, Louis B. Mayer referred to her as, quote, my little hunchback, like to Aww. her face. So he I was. Her terms back then were even, well, they're all, all of them are bad today. It, and... Back then, especially because there just weren't really any protections for actors. Mm-hmm. It just, the racism and the treatment, it, all of it just ran rampant and it was horrible. Um, Louis kept her on a strict diet that was monitored very closely. She was only allowed black coffee, which I know is like your thing, but I'm like, excuse me. I don't understand the black coffee. Just FYI. I can't do it. I can't do it. Black coffee, chicken broth, and occasionally some cottage cheese, you know, for protein. Yeah. No matter what she ordered from the commissary. They were instructed to only give her those things. Oh, and sometimes she got lettuce. I have a question. Yeah. Now, oftentimes, and maybe still today, people were smoking cigarettes to suppress appetites, and they were starting at a much younger, like, um, you know, James Dean, and, you yep. know, they were starting. So, and I don't know if he was doing it to suppress appetite, but did, like, producers and, like, offer this type of thing? Oh, and directors offer this? Yes. It for, was... Like, Kids a common known. practice. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it. Oh. Um, so Louis B. Mayer set up spies everywhere to keep an eye on what Judy ate, how much she ate. It was pretty fucked up. That's vile. And one of these spies was her very own photo double, Bobby Cochet. So Bobby, Bobby's actually the one in the movie that opens the door to Over the Rainbow when it's sepia tone. Yeah. And then when Judy steps through it. Through, and that's, color. That's yeah, her. Yeah, that's her. But the back, you see the back of her opening the Wild. door. Wild. That's Bobby Cochet. I'm going to try um, to post way, some pictures of her. He may be a terrible person, but I really like his name. It's Bobby I have Cochet. no comment on that. Okay. Oh, Bobby's female. Bobby's female. Oh, duh. Uh, it's early for you. <laughs> yeah, it's very early. Yes. Can we so, just put that out there? Very early for me. And I clearly have not drank all my black coffee. Gross. So I might be seeing some winners today. So Bobby not only did the photo double work for camera, but she was also Judy's personal trainer. 
She was a lot of things. I'm going to post pictures of her because there are a few online that float around. What's the, do you know the age difference? Like how old was Bobby? Oh, you know, that's a great question. I don't know. Okay. Um, I just wonder like, were they like kind of close and similar in age? Because then she, you know. Bobby definitely looked older just based on the pictures I've seen. She definitely looks older than Judy. Like when you're, Um, you know, inferior, you're getting the people are telling you what to do. And I just wondered if she felt like she was, she had to do these things. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. She was in charge. She was spying on Judy the whole time and reporting back to Louis B. Mayer. And remember, he's the head of the studio. He is the top guy. And I just wonder, you know, I know this is deviating just a little bit, but I just wonder, you know, with all the Harvey Weinstein and all of that, I just wonder... What is it that was being said to these people, especially like Bobby, like, hey, if you don't do this, you're oh, out yeah. or you're, you there know, were so threats. Just... There were threats. In fact, Louis B. <sighs> Mayer's been compared to Harvey Weinstein. It, it, Real... it was, he was a bad dude. He wow. was a bad dude. Yeah. Ew. So in addition to this like super strict diet, he also prescribed her diet pills to keep her weight down. God, they've been around for a long time. Yeah. And he wasn't the first one to do this, to put her on pills. The first person to do it, can you guess? The first person? I don't know. I don't. Her mom. Yeah. Her mom? So her mom forced her into show business. Acting and all. Yeah. Okay. And by age 10, her mom had put her on diet pills. She'd give her amphetamines in the morning and sleeping pills at night. When she was 10. Wow. It's like the book that just came out. And I don't, I apologize. I don't know the actress's name, but she um, wrote about her mom and. How- oh, uh, Jeanette McCre- McCready. Yes, yeah. McCready. I was like, I think it's McCready, but I didn't want to say that in case it was wrong. But yeah. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a whole episode on Judy Garland. So I'm not going to go into her life okay. here. I'm just going to focus on like the time making the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Suffice to say, she was set up on some horrific patterns early on. The patterns of drugs continued with her throughout her entire contract with MGM and unfortunately throughout her life. And in addition to the pills, she was ordered to ordered. I'm going to say that again. She was ordered. ordered to smoke cigarettes to suppress her appetite. I And I don't that know might be a theme. I don't know if this is a rumor, but I read it in literally every source I looked into. So there seems to be some truth in it. She would sometimes smoke up to 80 cigarettes a day while filming. 80. Uh, 80. 80. Yeah. I don't even know how there's enough hours in the day to do that. I, I think I just lost a lung listening to that. Like, how do you sing? How do you breathe? I don't know how you survive when you're smoking that much. She was how also. is that? Like a day. I don't know how many cigarettes are in a pack. I think it's 20. So maybe four packs. So four packs a day. That's a lot. For a 16 year old. She's a kid. She's a kid. Uh, She was also forced to strap her breasts down and wear an extremely tight corset under her costume in order to have a more, quote, childlike figure, whatever you want to call that. Um, so when you think about all of the choreography she's doing and the singing, so uncomfortable, realize that she is doing that tightly corseted. She can't breathe because she smokes so much. She can't breathe because she's got corsets on. Yeah. You know, compacting her ribs. And you can't 
I mean, you can't eat like that. You can't, well, she wasn't allowed to eat. You can't like really sit, like just think of how uncomfortable that is. I like, I can't even wear tight jeans. I can barely wear these two costumes at once because I'm all like buckled in and like I've got like binder clips on and whatnot. And I'm (laughs) uncomfortable. I am a teacher, you know. I had to figure out how to do it somehow. I mean, it's two costumes and one. <laughs> but um, I just it's it's so it's just such ill treatment. Yeah, the studio heads were always telling her that she wasn't good enough. They tell her she needed to lose weight, or that she was too old, or that her nose didn't look right, like all this shit. And she's a child during all of this and she and she's also she's working and so like having that mindset you have to like not even think that about what people are saying because you have a job to do you're yeah. acting in something yeah and producers referred to her as their quote fat little pig in <gasps> pigtails like that's what they called her and she's a kid oh. yeah that's so pretty shitty so people wrong. When filming began, they changed Judy's look entirely because they just didn't like it. So the original Dorothy is is with Judy wearing a blonde wig. She's covered in tons of makeup to give her a baby doll appearance. They made her wear caps on her teeth and a false nose. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That footage doesn't exist, but some of the stills do. All the surplus footage from the movie has been lost or destroyed to history. So unfortunately, like we don't have that, but there are, are you gonna, photos of that. Can you are you gonna post one of those if you have it? I'll try to. Okay. Um I've seen it. It's hard because it's black and white, so it's kind of hard oh, to okay. tell. Okay. I'm like, but, so interested in that. Like, yeah. Oh. Wild. And it wasn't until the film changed directors. There were technically six directors total. But only one is actually credited, which is Victor Fleming, which, yeah, it's wild. Like, it just kept changing directors. So Hmm. when George Cukor, Cukor, I'm probably saying that wrong. uh, I say many things wrong. It's fine. (laughs) We try. We try the best we can. Exactly. He changed her appearance back to a more natural Judy because when he was watching the footage, he was just like, no one can relate to her. She's not a real person. And if she's that done up, like no one's, no one's going to care. No Mm -hmm. one can, they need someone because there's all these other huge characters, you know, they need a real person to, to relate to. Absolutely. Yeah. So he was like, take all this shit off, just be yourself. And of course, I mean, that was obviously the right choice. Um, Let me, again, sorry, everyone. I'm just trying to reach my computer. (laughs) Uh, Louis B. Mayer, who I mentioned, has been compared to Harvey Weinstein. This is bad. He reportedly sexually assaulted Judy while she was meeting with him in his office again when she was a child. So she would be there singing and he would begin groping her breast, but he would say he was touching her heart. He'd say things like, oh, this is where your singing comes from, your heart. But he was clearly groping her breast. And eventually she told him to stop and he reportedly started crying and told her he loved her. Uh, bye, boy. Yeah. 
Judy said she was also abused by another executive at the studio, but she would never name him, which is interesting. She said he called her to his office and demanded she have sex with him. And when she refused, he started screaming at her and threatened to ruin her career. I, you know what? That's what gets me a lot is not only just like the violation, but yeah. the threats too that these all the these threats, poor females just and also they like felt so like she's they, a child yeah. like she is a little baby she's a baby like how do you even process that? like she was such a victim of a horrific system and I don't like I just don't know how you process how do you go on like how do you get through that because she didn't she couldn't go to her mom her mom was no because she was her mom was abusive as much as these men yeah. Um, unfortunately, this isn't the only sexual harassment Judy is said to have endured while making the movie. According to Sid Luft, who was her third husband, Judy told him that some of the male actors who played the munchkins would put their hands underneath her dress and grope her. Now, the behavior of some of those actors playing the munchkins had been a topic of speculation over the years. I do think some of the stories have been exaggerated over time. Um, They've sort of been given a reputation as like a bunch of drunken, knife-wielding partiers who held orgies in the Culver Hotel, which is the hotel that most of them were staying at. Staying at, okay. Yeah. And that the police were constantly called. But a lot of this has been disputed. And there's a really great interview with one of the actors who played one of the munchkins. Her name is Ruth DeCini. I'll try to post that if I can. Um, She does mention that there were some, quote, shenanigans that occurred in the hotel, but she wasn't a part of it. She didn't stay there during the movie. And she doesn't really go into what they were. There were 124 actors total that played Munchkins. So when you have that many people, there are bound to be a few outliers. But I don't think it's fair to say that they as a group were this rowdy bunch of misbehaving people. Right. Unfortunately, I do think, you know, a lot of it was um, discrimination and they were mistreated and, you know, got a bad reputation, but I don't think they did anything really to deserve that. Uh, Many of them weren't just happy to have a job. A lot of them were part of a vaudeville troupe known as Singers Midgets. So Leo Singer was an Austrian-born manager, and he toured the group throughout Europe. And then when World War I broke out, they moved to the United States, and Singer began touring the country to recruit more members. So when word got out that there was this movie looking for little people, the European troupe, along with several little people from all over the U.S., moved to Los Angeles. They didn't even have to audition. It was like, it was like they, they were finally getting the the break they well deserved they they were just excited they were like excited yeah they were like great a job and we're going to be in a movie and the studio wanted to cast as many little people as were willing to do the movie so those coming from europe they wanted a job for them yeah 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 and because many of them uh came from europe they a lot of them spoke german so their voices are actually dubbed in the movie but it, there were also several from the United States as well. So, okay, yeah, it, they were just happy to be there. And unfortunately, I think because they were just so grateful for work, they accepted a lot of mistreatment mm-hmm. uh, because they just wanted to keep their job. Unfortunately, Leo Singer was a pretty controversial figure back in the day. 
It was reported that during the Wizard of Oz, he kept half of his performer's pay, which is shitty. The actors playing the Munchkins only received $50 per week for their work on the film, which today equates to about $1,000 a week. Okay. Which is not much because when you think about the hours you're putting in. And they were on set for a very long time. Yes. And they were also, so they were told they were going to be playing Munchkins in Munchkinland. But then the studio was like, hey, also, um, you're going to play the soldiers and you're also going to play flying monkeys, which was not what they were hired to do. But the studio was just like. You're going to play this too, and it's not going to be for any extra money. Okay, thanks. So, yeah, I was going to say basically they've got triple the job and still the same income. Exactly. So they were definitely taken advantage of, I would say, to put it lightly. And if you're like me and think it would have been cool to be one of the flying monkeys, because that was, I was going to do that costume before I settled on the tornado. Um, And when I turned, when I said, okay, I won't do the witch. Um, you make a good weather, though. Thank you. <laughs> I just have to hold it up every now and then to remind everyone. Um, so if you thought it'd be cool to be a flying monkey, you would be wrong. Because not only were their costumes incredibly heavy, for when they're wearing harnesses, yeah, but then they also had a battery pack attached to them to make the mechanical wings really? move. Yeah. So these are super heavy costumes. Then they were attached to piano wires so that they could fly Fly. down. But as they flew down, the wires snapped. (gasps) Yeah. Several of the actors were injured. injured? You can actually hear them in the movie crashing to the ground. Okay. It is is terrible. It's so creepy and terrifying. I just watched the movie again the other day and I heard it and I was like, Oh my God, they just fell to the ground. It's wild. It was also really hot in those costumes. And in order to film in Technicolor, the they had to use really bright, intense lights. Oh, so and yeah, it caused the temperature on the soundstage to rise over a hundred degrees. Plus they were in costumes. Right. And it created a carbon dioxide buildup. So several of the actors passed out because it was just so fucking hot. And I read that some were close to succumbing to heat stroke. Crew members are passing out. Like people were constantly getting carried off set because of the heat. It was torturous. Generally speaking, the costumes overall were a big fucking problem. So another actor who suffered from extreme heat in his costume was Bert Lahr, who played the Cowardly Lion. Oh. His costume was so hot because it was made from a real lion. No. Yes. I was going to say because it was all wool. And I'm, I, wow. No. Straight up lion pelt, lion fur. It weighed 90 pounds. Wow. I wonder yeah. what Peta had to say about that. Peta. Peta. I was like, who's Peta? <laughs> Bert, Bert Lahr sweat so much that it took two assistants at the end of each day to air out the costume. Yeah, and I'm sure the, the stench was... I was going to say, think of the smell. Pretty rancid. Yeah. And his makeup was done in such a way that he couldn't, uh, he couldn't eat. Like, he had to drink things through a straw. And... 
if he didn't, if he tried to actually like eat a sandwich or eat, you know, something like everyone else was eating, it would ruin the makeup and they'd have to redo it, which they didn't want to do. Do you know whose decision was that? Was it a costume designer or was it like director or producer or something? That Producers. Like, hey, we want to be yeah. so authentic that we're going to actually make your costume out of a lion. Yeah, I, you know, I'm sure it was producers, costumers, um, that, that was what they used. And it's, well, originally they were going to use a real lion and they were like, nah, that might be, you know, but he, he might attack some of the actors. True story. Wow. Yeah. So okay. this is a side note. I wasn't going to ask, I wasn't even going to talk about this. This is a side note, but the lion that is the mascot in the MGM logo, yes. you know, for me, was, was that, were, the li- that was the lion. Was the lion that was hired for, or and they hired. were gonna, well, I mean, yeah, he yeah, would have been hired. Sure. <laughs> that was the lion they were gonna use. And then the last month, they're wow. like, mm, he might attack people. So I guess we'll use an actor. We'll just take, we'll just take a picture of him and it can be our logo for ever. It mascot, was whatever. The fact that they even considered that was just, that's that's 1930s Hollywood for you. Um, so Bert was uh, forced to basically drink milkshakes and slurp soup through a straw every day. And the production lasted for 10 months. And we're talking up to 18 hour long right days, days of shooting. Yeah. So one day Bert had had enough and he was like, fuck it. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I'm oh, going to have shit. a real lunch and I'm going to use a fork. And I'm going to take big bites and fuck all y'all. All right, Bert. Yeah. And Victor Fleming, who was the the director at that time, and he, I think I mentioned earlier, he's the only one credited for directing the film. He got pissed. Of course. Yeah. But was, Bert insisted. Bert was defiant. He was like, Psh. He insisted that he be allowed to eat. I mean, that shouldn't be like a thing you have to fight for. He was like, I should be allowed to eat. And you're just going to have to redo my makeup after lunch each day. And again, like we're talking one to three hours of makeup here. Mm -hmm. I think just for the face, it was probably an hour. Um, For his whole costume, I think was three. And they didn't want to, you know, take that time. But he got his way. So he was able to upgrade from the milkshakes and soup. And honestly, like, it's a lion. Don't you think you want to feed a lion? Uh, you know, they're kind of bulkier. You don't want a lion, you know? I don't, I'm just saying. I mean, he, he was in a costume. <laughs> okay. I get I it. I can't with you right now. <laughs> okay. But that's just my thought process. It's like, I know, I know. I know it was not, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't want your, your, your character, your actor getting, like, too thin because they are not eating you want to have an authentic looking lion clearly they used a real lion skin for it that's all mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm just advocating for him to to bite his food and eat it. he he got to eventually Great. jack haley who played the tin man also had problems in costume he wasn't able to sit down because <laughs> his costume was so rigid so he had to rest against a leaning board to take breaks oh. And so, okay, he had some trouble just getting around in general. What about going to the bathroom? I I don't even, I I think it was a problem. And he would occasionally just fall. What? (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. It's really bad, actually. But he would just fall over because his costume was kind of hard to navigate. And then he would just have to lie there until someone helped him up. 
Oh, sounds like me on crutches. Oh, Jack, Jack, had, Jack, Jack suffered some some issues with the costume. Uh, he was not the original Tin Man, however. Originally, Ray Bolger was cast as the Tin Man and Buddy Epson was cast as the Scarecrow. And Buddy Epson might sound familiar to you. He was Jed Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies. He was the title character in Barnaby Jones. He He did a ton of stuff. But Ray Bolger had always dreamed of one day playing the Scarecrow after watching Fred Stone, his idol, perform the role on Broadway. So remember I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. he wanted to be just like Fred Stone. Mm -hmm. So he worked out, I cannot believe this tornado. He worked out some of the dances for the character and presented them to the producers and got his way. Which, I mean, again, was kind of unheard of because with studio contracts, it was like, you're going to play this and you're going to play this. But he got his way, so the studio switched Ray and Buddy's roles. So with Buddy Ebsen as the Tin Man, the makeup team used toxic aluminum dust to create the silver look of the character. So every day, uh, he was Buddy was inhaling this aluminum toxin. dust. And he started experiencing shortness of breath and cramping. And when he brought it up to producers, they didn't take it seriously. They were just like... That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And after a week and a half of filming, inhaling the aluminum dust all day long, the dust caused an allergic reaction and Buddy had to be rushed to the emergency room. He was hospitalized in critical condition and ended up in an iron lung and almost died. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he's in the hospital trying to, you know, breathe. Live. And the studio was like, "Mm, you're not recovering fast enough. So they just they replaced, replaced him. him. Yep. So did and they change their makeup after that? Yes. But okay. Not enough. So unfortunately, Buddy suffered health problems the rest of his life from his work on the film. And the studio didn't want to re-record all the songs that he had done because they'd already done the soundtrack. Right. So they only re-recorded where you know the Tin Man solos, but mm-hmm. You can still hear Buddy Epson on "We're Off to See the Wizard." It's it's always That's him singing when they okay. do "We're Off to the Wizard," which is just like a little fun fact or yeah. creepy fact. Not sure. However, you want to look at that. Uh, his replacement was Jack Haley, who didn't even want to do the movie necessarily, but the way studio contract system worked, they gave him no choice. No one told anyone what happened to Buddy Epson. Like, no one from production was like, hey, everybody. Sorry. He's, yeah. Oh, my God. So Jack Haley just assumed he'd been fired for some reason. And they never were like, hey, Jack, so the guy in this role before you, yeah. Almost we died. Accidentally yeah. almost killed him. Our bad. So, yes, the makeup department did switch the Tin Man's makeup to an aluminum paste. <laughs> Which was safer, question mark? Um, It caused an eye infection in Jack that resulted in surgery. Yeah, so he wasn't inhaling dust, but that makeup is still, like, all over his face. It's, like, in, you know, the corners of his eyes. So he did require surgery. And obviously there's not, like, regulations and testing done on makeup then. No, no. Ray Bolger's costume for the Scarecrow... um, well, was it made started, out of a real scarecrow? 
No, it was made out of straw. So I guess, sure. <laughs> um, I almost said it wasn't toxic, but actually it was just covered with asbestos, which we'll talk about later. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, unlike his counterparts, though, he was able to sit down. So that was nice. Uh, the makeup they used for his face, though. So, it, I mean, it's cool looking. It was designed to look like a burlap sack. Yeah. They used this latex rubber that was stuck on with like a special glue. Not at all porous, not at all breathable. And every night it took. Did he break out? Well, it worse. So every night it took an hour to remove because it had to be peeled off so slowly because it was just like glued to his face. He said it was an agonizing process. And he also wore prosthetics. Like he has a prosthetic nose. Okay. That makeup left permanent lines on his face. Yeah. Oh. Ray was also a smoker. And not once, but twice, he was smoking while on a break. And some of the cigarette ash fell onto the straw of his costume. And he caught himself on fire. Oh, my God. Twice. Yeah. So that was not good. So with all they endured, Bert, Jack, and Ray were compensated quite well for their work. Both Ray Bulger and Jack Haley received $3,000 per week for the Wizard of Oz, which equates to about $64,000 today. So they were making that per week, which was a great paycheck. Right. For some reason... Compared to the $50 that the... That little people made. Yeah, Yeah, little people were making. For some reason... Bert Lahr only received $2,500 a week. I'm not sure why he got less than the other two. Um, How much do you think Judy Garland made per week? I want to say like the same, but probably like a thousand. Not even a thousand. She made $500 per week. It was still considered a lucrative paycheck, especially for a teenager because teen woman or this was, this was a time of, you know, this was the time of the great depression, right? But, it was significantly less than what her co-stars were earning. They were making 10 times what she made. And she, again, she's the star of the show. Right. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that the actors playing the Munchkins only receive $50 per week. The dog playing Toto, oh, Toto. 125 bucks a week. Toto Seriously? more than double what the actors playing the Munchkins made. That is the kind of discrimination that was happening then. That's really fucked up. Yeah. So let's talk about Toto. Oh, Toto. Um, Toto is Toto. You know what? Maybe I should pause and see if I can. Uh, bring I'm like in Toto. Can I'll we? We'll okay. See. Okay. So. Oh my God! She look I'm, at her. She's, she's not so going to be in here long. No. But, but... here's Toto, Hi, aka Toto. Frankie. I just had to give her a little, a little what's up. Okay, I'm going to pause again because she's okay. She's ready to go go back out. (laughs) Okay, I made that quick with her just because she really likes the closet, but she's not supposed to be in the closet because she likes to chew clothes. So, you know, couldn't let her stay too, too long. Um, So Toto in the movie, which is not as, I mean, well, all Totos are equal. I was going to say not as great as my Toto, but... But all Totos are equal. Uh, she sure. was a female Cairn Terrier whose real name was Terry. And she didn't have it entirely easy either. In what? one scene. Yeah. 
for the most part, she was well taken care of. But unfortunately, in one scene, an actor playing one of the Winkies, which is the witch's guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to readjust. Okay. Um, accidentally stepped on her and broke her paw. Yeah. Aww. She was out for two weeks and they used a doggy double to fill in. Don't worry. She made a full recovery. Okay. Okay. And she was in several more films after that. Um, over the course of the filming, Judy Garland became really attached to her. Obviously. I see why. Yeah. And I mean, they spent pretty much every day for 10 months together. Right. So when production wrapped, she asked if she could keep the dog. And the dog trainer was like, nope. No. Yeah. Some of the other notable animals. She just wants a dog. I mean, right. And when you're that, like, that's your dog. It was probably therapy for her. Yeah. And it was probably therapy for her because she was so mistreated. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, Some of the other notable animals in the film were the horses that changed colors to create that effect. Yeah. Remember that? Totally now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely misplaced that memory, but yeah. Wow. So to create that effect, the makeup team used flavored gelatin to tint the white horses. It didn't harm the animals. Producers consulted with the ASPCA to make sure it was safe. Oh, um, so so I'm glad. I am glad that they consulted. I know exactly what you're okay. going to say. Literally my next thought. Okay. Because, yes, they, you know, consulted to make sure the animals were safe. But humans, it's like you were on your own. Like, too bad. In the hospital? Sorry, we're just going to have to fire you. Iron lung? Yeah, exactly. Sorry about it. Uh, So the horses really liked the gelatin. And they were constantly licking it off. So they had to shoot the scenes quickly because the horses were like, "Mm, strawberry. Mm, Yummy. Yeah. So so you can kind of see it in the film where Frank Morgan is like trying to get the horses to go because they you they're they're all licking their lips every time. You should watch it and watch the horses because every time one changes color, they're just licking their lips like crazy. You know, (laughs) it's funny. It's funny you say you should watch it. I was actually going to rewatch it before this. And I'm like, no, 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 actually don't. Because then. Yeah. You'll. It's like. You want to hear all of this first. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because then when you watch it, knowing all this, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, MGM also rented exotic birds from the Los Angeles Zoo because they thought it would be cool to have a bunch of birds wandering around in the wilderness. (laughs) So. For no logical reason whatsoever, when Dorothy and the Scarecrow are in the woods and they meet up with a Tin Man, you see a toucan in a tree, mm-hmm. a peacock just moseying on by. Too. I don't think I ever noticed it. And I then... W- I think I remember thinking, why would they be in the forest? <laughs> I never, never noticed it until I was reading about it. And I was like, I got to look out for that. Yeah, this peacock is just like wandering around in the background that's what I remember and the reason that I remember that is because I watched the I made like my family watch or probably just my mom watch the movie um when I got cast the role in high school oh yeah that we could kind of study some things because I was so not prepared to be a wicked witch of the west (laughs) so um I remember I think I had that conversation with her like why would they have that in the forest it's wild I mean and this is high school so years ago I'm not gonna reveal how many but yeah, the there were just digits. a lot of birds. And there was also a, cr- a crane in the background. 
And this is where the rumor of someone hanging themselves (gasps) comes from. So no one died by suicide on the set of The Wizard of Oz. The shadow people see is a large saurus crane stretching its wings. And if you pause on that moment and zoom in, you can definitely make out the shape of the bird. You see the beak, you see the wings, everything. It's not a human body, people, but that rumor sure did persist for a long long time. Long time, yeah. Yeah. Now, based on what you see on screen, you would think that Ray Bolger and Burt Lahr and Jack Haley were all really fond of Judy Garland, but not so much. Turns out they reportedly resented her because they felt like she was stealing their thunder and upstaging them, which she was because she was the star of the movie. Making way less than they were Exactly. And And getting treated terribly. Horribly. And they didn't like feeling upstage, so they essentially shunned her when the cameras stopped rolling. And I saw that in a couple of sources. So I do think there's some truth to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Her only friend from the cast was my personal favorite, Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch of the West. Clearly mine, too. Unlike her fellow co-stars, Margaret did not come from a vaudeville background. Instead, she was a kindergarten teacher. No wonder. Yep. I knew you were going to love that. The tie. Oh, I will say this. So I know that I'm telling a story, but so when I was cast as the Wicked Witch of the West, which I did not audition for, I went home and I cried for a long time. I know you did. I would have gone home and been so freaking excited. I, well, it's because I wasn't like, I was so prepared for Dorothy. I memorized the play. Like if anybody lost a line, I got it for them. But I was so upset because when you set your mind to something and then it doesn't come to the fruition that you hoped it would. And you were so like, I nailed it. Like nobody wants to do these plays. I'm always doing them. Like, and I put my hair in little like cute braid pigtail things. And I was like, I wore like a little dress to audition. I thought I had it. I didn't. And (laughs) we're not going to go into (laughs) that part of it, but, um, I was so upset and I was crying and my mom was just like, let's watch, you know, let's watch the movie. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And once I watched it again, cause I'd watched it, right. Like it had been on many times before on TV and whatnot, but we watched the movie and I will say this, she made me so excited (laughs) And so I felt honored actually after that. I was like, you know what? Yeah. Best damn wicked witch that ever lived. Like she was phenomenal. And my absolute favorite. She was not, however, the first choice to play the wicked witch. So the part originally went to Gail Sondergaard. Now Gail often played the sultry, glamorous characters. And originally the wicked witch of the West was based off of the evil queen in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And was meant to be this, like, sexy, slinky villainess. Thankfully, producers went, hmm, Mm. maybe evil should equate to ugly. So the witch should probably be ugly. And Gail was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't do ugly. Yep. Yep. So she dropped out. Margaret Hamilton was cast just three days before filming began. Oh, wow. Wild. And I can't imagine anyone else playing I can't either. I mean, I'm telling you, like, she changed my mindset watching her. And I think that just having that conversation with my mom being so upset, like, it really helped me 
understand development of characters yeah. and appreciation for what they go through, despite that maybe you're not the lead or maybe you're not the role that you want to be. You do sure. the best damn job that you can with what you have and, and when you turn think green of, for you know many days after your production. When you think of The Wizard of Oz, it's synonymous with Hamilton's Wicked Witch, the green makeup oh, yeah. and all. In the book, though, there is no mention of the witch being green. They only did that so that she would look good in Technicolor. Mm -hmm. I remember the Technicolor. I knew that part. Yeah. And you know how the makeup on set was like super safe for everyone? Just kidding. It wasn't. Margaret's was no exception. Her hands and face were covered with a copper-based paint. Guess what? Copper was super toxic as fuck. Of course. It's all the metals. Yeah. She couldn't eat because if she ingested any of the makeup, it could be extremely damaging to her system. And she had to adhere to a strict liquid-based diet, just like Bert Lahr, and drink everything through a straw. And at one point, she did accidentally ingest like a small amount of the makeup, and she was unable to eat for days. Oh. Yeah. It sounded horrific. But then on one day... It was December 23rd of 1938. They were filming the scene where the Wicked Witch exits Munchkinland in a cloud of fire and smoke. And it's like a, I mean, everyone mm-hmm. remembers the scene. So there's a trap door on the yellow brick road, which you can totally see if you look. Um, this acted as an elevator that was to lower Margaret Hamilton down below the stage. So the smoke would come up, she'd be lowered down, the fire would erupt and be all dramatic. They shoot it once. Great. Everything goes well. Awesome. No. Um, Everything went great. But then Victor Fleming was like, let's go again. So on the second take, they delayed the trap doors drop so that you couldn't see the door in the final edit. But this meant the fire erupted (sighs) too soon, causing Margaret's highly flammable toxic makeup to catch catch fire. She had... Second-degree burns on her face and third-degree burns on her hands. Horrific. And because the makeup was so toxic, Jack Young, the makeup artist, had to remove it immediately so it didn't seep into Margaret's skin. So he used alcohol. Oh, my God. Yep. So just think of pouring alcohol on third degree burns. burns her face her hand i the most excruciating pain she said she's never experienced pain like that she spent yeah, six burn weeks pains are oh yeah they're intense they're very intense she spent six weeks recovering and when she returned in february of 1939 she had to wear green gloves for the remainder of the shoot. I, when I was watching why, the movie, because I knew would... about that, yeah, I was looking really tell? closely. So I've heard that some people can tell. I couldn't really tell. Um, and why they wouldn't just start with the gloves? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> like, Ridiculous. I, don't know. I just, uh, I did tell you that I didn't fall down a trap door, but I told you how I melted, right? Yeah. On you stage. Did. You did. Car Jack. Um, after which is really in a clever I mean way. it was very clever and like I had to walk up these stairs and then nobody could see the the where the car jack was and there was just a yeah. little tiny block and I had to make sure I got my foot just right on that block otherwise I was going to fall which I think probably you know they they but probably you didn't. just didn't you I survived didn't. I didn't I survived and 
Um, you had it a lot easier than the cast in this movie. I, I did, in fact. So after Margaret recovered, she said, quote, I won't sue because I know how this business works and I would never work again. I will return to work on one condition, no more fireworks. And she refused to work with fire for the rest of filming. And producers producers were like, cool, cool, cool. Can you just do this one scene where you're sitting with on fire? a smoking pipe made to look like your broomstick is smoking? So this was for the surrender Dorothy skywriting mm-hmm. scene. And Margaret said, nah. So they got her stunt double, Betty Danko, to do it. So Betty is on this pipe that is smoking. First take, great. Second take, great. No. Oh. Third take, the pipe explodes. Betty is severely burned. She spent 11 days in the hospital and had permanent scars on her legs. She had wounds that were two inches deep. This this movie is so problematic in so many ways. How many how many people have we gotten in the hospital so far? Like so, four? So far, it's been Buddy Epson. Uh, Jack Haley had to have the surgery. Margaret Hamilton ended up in the hospital. Betty Danko in the hospital. So, so far, we're at four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there anyone else? I'm losing count because it's a lot. So I'm pretty sure Margaret Hamilton was just like, man, you guys suck. Um, And just like you, her skin remained green for not days, but weeks after filming Wrapped. Uh, But side note, when Margaret was recovering from her burn injuries, Judy went to visit her. The two of them grew pretty close. Like they were buddies. And like I said earlier, Margaret was really Judy's only like confidant, confidant. on the set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy was also really excited to attend her graduation party and uh, she was really looking forward to it. She picked out a dress she wanted to wear. Yeah. And so she showed it to Margaret and she was like, what do you think? And, you know, Margaret's like, you know, kind of, kind of like a mother figure to her in some ways. And because her own mother seemed. Exactly. Questionable at best. Then Louis B. Mayer, good old Louis, scheduled her to do a press meeting on the day of the party margaret hamilton actually called him up and shooed him out and was like what the fuck dude this is her graduate like how dare you Uh, unfortunately a lot of margaret scenes were cut from the film because test audiences found them to be too scary for children and she later remarked that her biggest fear was that the role of the witch would give children the wrong idea about her because she actually adored children. Like, she was a teacher, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she served on the school board in Beverly Hills. She donated tons of money to children's programming to promote early learning. Oh, God, I love her. Yeah, I do, too. She was just the best. And between 1975 and 76, she appeared in three episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. because, And they're endearing, like, they are endearing. You can find them online because you know Fred, Rogers, Fred Rogers yes. is, I mean, he's I, the man. He, 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 and my kindergarten teacher and my grandmother are what kind of drove me to wanting to work with kids. Oh, I love that. Because I was a, I mean, I was every day I had to watch Fred Rogers. He needed to put his cardigan on, change his shoes. <laughs> like I love the makeup. He was amazing. And and I, he just kind of reminded me of like my grandmother and like Mrs. Jones, who was my kindergarten teacher. Aww. Those three really impactful. I mean, I teetered with wanting to be a doctor for a while. And then I think those three just led me into a classroom. I 
love that. Yeah. And Fred now Rogers, I have to, I'm going to have to put Margaret Hamilton on that list. I mean, like, she, I absolutely, I didn't even know it. It was like Margaret Hamilton. Fred Rogers wanted to show kids that the witch was just a character and nothing to be afraid of. So that's yes. why he wanted her to come on the show. Um, the, can I just add, sorry, I know that I'm talking a lot of personal stuff, but I want to say can't this, edit it out, but that's fine. Okay. Well, I just want to say this because I have such relations with this, with Wizard of Oz itself. And I played a character in it. We had kids be the monkeys and um, the munchkins and all of that. And I will say, I was a little afraid that they were going to be afraid of me. But what I did with them every time after we did rehearsals and I wasn't like in my costume is I played with them. Like I hung out yeah. with them and their parents were like so appreciative because I was like, I don't want them to go home and have nightmares. Like right, I'm like right. doing that evil laugh and like my lines are kind of like biting and I, yeah, but and I, I feel connections like, and I feel like that's probably what she was thinking. Exactly. That I mean, she was just a good soul and loved kids. And in addition to Mr. Rogers Neighborhood in 1976, she appeared on Sesame Street as the witch. Her episode aired once and so many parents wrote in saying it was too scary that it got banned from ever airing again. And I do think like, just, yeah. Some of that just kind of, I think, weighed on her because mm -hmm. she, you know. She just wanted, and she also wanted to show like, hey, I'm just yeah. this person with, in a character it's in a just costume. just dress up. Yeah. yeah. So one thing Margaret mentioned after doing the movie was that sometimes, and I love this about her, she would sneak into Billy Burke's dressing room when Billy wasn't around. So Billy Burke played Glinda the Good Witch and was like already a massive star at the time of The Wizard mm -hmm, of Oz. Mm -hmm. um, Margaret said it was because she had such a nicer dressing room than hers and that there? everything in Billy's dressing room was pink and blue. Pink and blue walls, pink and blue peppermints, pink and blue canisters that held baby oil and pink and blue powder puffs. And meanwhile, Margaret's dressing room was literally a canvas tent. So, Mar uh, yeah, so Margaret was like, I would just sneak in when she wasn't around. I just liked having lunch in there. Oils. Yeah, I could so oils. see myself doing that. Have or you. Peppermint. I could see you being like, I need a peppermint right now. I'm just <laughs> going to Glenda's. I love it. Um, Margaret stayed lifelong friends with Ray Bolger. And when she died, he was the one to give her elegy or eulogy, not elegy, her eulogy. Words are hard. Uh, and then these are just some interesting things I found, but couldn't really find a place for within this whole story. So the movie was filmed entirely indoors. It was all shot on the sound stages of MGM. Oh. Yeah. I think they used five sound stages total. Uh, those stages are now Sony Picture Studios, which okay. are in Culver City. So I used to live in Culver City and I worked on that lot. And I remember a crew member telling me that the soundstage we were on was, was one of the ones used for oh, the Yellow Brick Road. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I have to say, I had always felt just a heaviness when I was on that stage. Like it was just eerie and I hated working on that stage and I, and I, but I didn't really know why. And it was always cold and it was just like, I don't know. It just felt dark and, wow. and heavy. And then he told me that and I was like, oh shit. This is why. Yeah. I mean, cause it, when you hear about all like the crazy stuff mm -hmm. that happened behind the scenes, just like it was not a good place to be. And so a couple other things in the scene where the group encounters the cowardly lion, Dorothy is supposed to slap him, but Judy Garland had a giggling fit and couldn't stop laughing. So they were doing take after take and 
eventually she even went behind one of the trees and just kept telling herself, I will not laugh. I will not laugh. Oh, my gosh. And then the next take, sure enough, she burst out laughing again. Well, Victor Fleming, once again, Mm. is pissed off. So he pulls her aside and smacks her across the face. And he said, now get out there and work. So the take you see in the movie. Is actually him slapping her? No, no, no. Oh. The take you see in the movie is right after she's just been slapped. Oh. She went out, did one take of it, and they were like, that's perfect. And that's what they used. And reportedly, after the take, Judy overheard Victor Fleming say to a crew member that was next to him, oh, I wish you would punch me in the nose for what I did to her, which <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, okay. Um, she was probably internally seething, like, so just... You know what? I think because she was, this is horrible, but I think because she was used to being abused. That it didn't even phase her that much. And she was, she had such a good heart. So when she heard the director say this, she went up to him and she said, I'm not going to punch you, but I will kiss you. And she kissed him on the nose. It's like, it's all okay. Wow. Yeah. So uh, in the scene where the characters fall asleep in the poppy field and it begins to snow, the snow is actually asbestos. And when you watch the movie, that's whoa, they are covered in this stuff. And I mentioned the scarecrow's costume mm-hmm. was also covered in asbestos because it was supposed to make it fireproof, which it wasn't because he was smoking and then caught himself on fire. And the Wicked Witch's broom was also made from asbestos fibers. Yeah, surprisingly, asbestos was not restricted for general use until the 1970s. Okay, I was going to ask how long until they figured out this was, you well, know, cancer causing. That's the thing. They knew about the health health concerns since the 1890s, but what? people could still use it. People used it as the snow in their home for Christmas decorations. I mean, like, it was. Ma- used in our ceiling when I was in high school they found it in our ceiling and then yeah, they I were mean, like too it's too expensive to redo it I'm like so yeah cool. like we're- it was used a lot in buildings and stuff but mm-hmm. think of people, people using asbestos as snow decorations in their homes like now you go to the dollar store and you get right a, you know a dollar bag of that like cotton or whatever they would use like straight up asbestos yeah so just some of the diseases asbestos can cause Lung cancer, mesothelioma, cancer of the gastrointestinal tract, kidney and throat, just your basic horrible ways to die. And when you watch that scene, these actors are covered covered in it. it. Yeah. And it's just like pouring on them. It's ridiculous. Um, But one thing I found interesting is that the wallpaper in Dorothy's bedroom, like when she's in Kansas. Oh, okay. Is poppies. Which is just like a really? nice tie-in. Yeah, I never noticed that before. Oh, that's clever. Good job, set designer. <laughs> in the original script, this, okay, this is so gross and intriguing and cringeworthy. In the original script, Dorothy and the Scarecrow were supposed to have a love connection. Which is why at the end of the movie, Dorothy whispers to the Scarecrow, I think I'll miss you most of all, and kisses him on the cheek. Because they're supposed to be, like, mm-hmm. alluding to a, hmm. Yeah. And his character's name when he's in Kansas on the farm is Hunk. Ray oh. Bulger was 35 years old when he played the Scarecrow. Oh, and Judy wow. was 16. He was, like, 20 years older. I, I can't. I'm glad they took that storyline yeah. out. 
the movie is creepy enough as it is. Um, but yeah, I just can't even like, oh, eh, anyway. First of all, I didn't even think they were like a match if I'm thinking relationship wise, but okay. I mean, maybe that's another reason why they took it out, but also maybe because like, ew. And finally, just to give you a little insight on what happened to these actors after Oz, like I said before, I'm going to do a whole episode on Judy Garland, so I'm not going to really touch on her life here. Um, Suffice to say that the path of drugs, the poor diet, all Mm. of that followed her throughout her life, as we all know. Claire Blandick, who played Antem, was already an established character actress when she appeared in The Wizard of Oz. It was a relatively small role, and she filmed her entire part in one week, but it's definitely the role for which she's most remembered. I would say everybody knows Antem. Mm-hmm. As years went on, though, her health began to deteriorate, deteriorate, and she suffered from extremely painful and debilitating arthritis. Her eyesight was failing, and she received news that she would soon go blind. Is that, was that from something? No, that was, I mean, just old age. Okay. She was getting on up there. Okay. She couldn't take it any longer. So on April 15th, 1962, she got up, she went to church, came home. She gathered up all of her favorite photos and memorabilia from her life. She laid out her resume and press clippings that mentioned her career. She put on a gorgeous royal blue evening gown. She styled her hair. She looked very elegant. And then she took an overdose of sleeping pills. She laid down on her couch, covered herself in a gold blanket, and tied a plastic bag over her head and was like, bitches, I'm out. I mean, that's really grim, but it seems like in some odd way it was on her terms it was on her terms and she was 85 she lived a good life um she did leave a note and basically just said she could not live with the pain any longer Mm -hmm. but you know she had an amazing career and she did relatively live a long life so she went out on her terms and you know just picturing that scene of the gown and everything i'm not trying to like uh, romanticize right, suicide right. by any means. But I think, you know, good on her that she decided what she wanted to do for herself mm-hmm. and said, this is how it's going to be. And I've got no regrets. Um, Charlie Grapewin, who played Uncle Henry, and this was just some fun stuff I found out about him. He left home at the age of 10 to join the circus. He was an Uh-oh. acrobat. Yeah. Wild. I love yeah. that. That Okay. He, Great. He did a trapeze, the high wire. He performed on roller skates. And then after doing that for about 10 years, he got into vaudeville, like so many of them. Okay, right, right. Yeah, then he started doing film, and he made some pretty wise money investments. So by the 1920s, he was a millionaire. So he retired. That's rad. You yeah. know what? Because, I, well, I just think that at that time frame, you know, it's it was hard to do those types of things. And the fact well, that he, like... Then the stock market oh. crashed, and he lost oh, you said everything. Oh, no, because this is before yeah. the Great Depression. Oh, shit. And that forced him back into acting. And the, gave us oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Frank Morgan, who played the wizard, well, he also played four other characters. Uh, he made his Broadway debut at age 24, and his dad was the manufacturer of Angostura bitters. We have that in our bar. Like... I could. I just found that fascinating. That's um, interesting. 
Yeah. And he made a shit ton of money doing that, too. Uh, Frank was a drinker, and he was said to have carried a small suitcase containing a mini bar wherever he went. While he was playing the role of Buffalo Bill Cody in the movie Annie Get Your Gun, he unfortunately died of a heart attack. And so they had to replace him in the film. Yeah. Jack Haley did not remember the film fondly. He hated dealing with the uncomfortable costume of the Tin Man. He had the eye injury. And it was said that in interviews, he always seemed really bitter. And it's speculated that this was because most people gravitated to Judy Garland because she was a star or Rage Bulger because of his dancing or Burt Lahr because of his broad comedy. Mm-hmm. But Jack was doing a lot of work behind the scenes, helping the writers find jokes for Burt Lahr. And Jack oh. had a distinct way of speaking when he was the Tin Man, which Ray Bulger then began to use. It was like sort of a soft-spoken style that Jack purposefully developed to appeal to children. I don't mean that in a creepy way. Right. No, I get what you're saying. But (laughs) but then somebody else emulated that to better develop their character. And I just think he didn't feel like he got his due credit. Mm -hmm. Um, So once he was no longer commanding those $3,000 a week checks, he got out of show business entirely and got into real estate. So that was interesting. Okay. Um, Did he do well? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Bert Lahr, um, man, his childhood sucked. His family was really poor and his dad hated both him and his mom and didn't treat either of them very well. So like Bert never got any presents at birthdays or holidays. He never got praise for any accomplishments. His escape was reading and when he could afford it, attending vaudeville shows. And when he was young, he performed in a school show, which gave him his first taste of approval. Like, I think people really thought that Mm -hmm. he did a good job. But shortly after, he flunked out of eighth grade. And so he was just like, "Mm, I'm just not going to go back. So he quit school permanently. And he got some menial jobs after that, but he was fired from every single one of them. But then at age 15, he got a part in a show called The Seven Frolics, which sounds like they toured it around to different schools. And he did that for several years. And then at 19, he got into vaudeville. And at 20, he got into burlesque. And this was his big break. So he partnered with dancer Mercedes Del Pino. And they had an act together. So she was the sexy dancer and he was the cop like working the beat, you know, Mm -hmm. and their routine was pretty lowbrow and a huge hit. And the two ended up getting married, actually. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, (laughs) I know I'm always like, yeah, it was great. Unfortunately, uh, Mercedes mental health began to decline pretty rapidly. And in 1930, I mean, it got bad, like kind of violently bad. And in 1939, they had the marriage annulled on the basis of her long-term chronic mental illness. Bert had her institutionalized. This all happened in the months, years leading up to the filming of The Wizard of Oz. So it does make you look at his character a little Mm -hmm. differently, knowing what he was going through in his personal life. I mean, same with Judy Garland. Like when you watch them on screen, just knowing what's going on, you know, behind all of that. There were many actors not listed in the credits of the film. 124 of them, actually. Where was it? The actors that played the Munchkins did not get their names in the credits 
despite having so lines, some had solos. Yeah. There was no recognition. They're simply listed as singers midgets in the credits. They really also made the movie. I mean, I don't know. I just feel Absolutely. like they're... I think I'm going to do a bonus episode like on the Patreon just on the little people that acted in the film. Okay. Because I think their stories are really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I did find a partial cast list for them, which I'll post that has many of the names. And I don't remember if I mentioned it earlier. I think it did. But there's a great interview from Newsweek. It's on video. And there are a few of the surviving little people. They were alive at that time. Mm -hmm. They've all since passed. Um, but they, it, it's really charming and we can I'll, give credit where credit is due. And I am excited about this cast list. Yeah. Partial. It's, it's exactly. It's, it's very charming. And do you want to know what else is charming? Of course. All of you, our listeners, when you rate, review and subscribe, it means so much to us and you can follow us on social media at Horwood pod at twitter that's the twitter one and then say that again so you can follow us on social media at horrorwood podcast or twitter at horrorwood pod pod (laughs) or you can email us at horrorwood podcast at gmail.com there you go and that's it for the episode everybody go watch the wizard of oz have an amazing halloween Yes, um, but don't go down the elephant road because it's tragic. It's treacherous. It is. It is. Uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween.